Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast. With eight games left to go in the season, we bring you one of the top eight football writers called Michael in the country to plot the run-in. Michael, firstly, welcome back. And I'll start by asking how tense are your hooks approaching this April footy run-in? Well, I'm curious who the other seven are. I quite like that list, I think. That would be that would be It's actually harder. I did a quick Google. It's actually harder than you think to have a list of <laughs> oh, football writers called Michael. That's very well. Oh, is that kind? Yeah, I think that is, isn't it? Um, well, I, well uh, you're sorry, John. No, I was going to say if, if by the end of the season you're in, t- in the top six, then that's an achievement. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that would yeah, be. You have to sort of be a like Google run. stick thing against the other Michaels to, <laughs> to get through it. The, the big question is would I deserve it? You know, really, would I deserve to be in that top six or would I have just made some really bad decisions? And, you know, ultimately it's just. Uh, Step too far. Anyway, let's talk about Norwich instead, shall we? Yeah. Um, so how tend to, to my? I'm sort of up to probably the E in tenter hooks. Um, I'm sort of sitting there, looking at it, wondering whether I can, you know, be bothered to write the rest or not. I feel mm-hmm. like um, I don't know. I feel like there should be a degree of excitement because there is at least something to play for, and just the whole context that takes you beyond the current situation means that I, it's just not there. I just don't, I feel like the team, I feel like the club probably has 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 not done enough to deserve to finish in the top six almost. Like, the, you know, it's it, there was enough there maybe at the start of the season and, and just by one way or another, it just hasn't worked out. And I think people probably find their excitement in and their hope and belief going forwards in what the club looks like next season um, when there's a bit more development. I think that is what, a lot of supporters are feeling more excited about than what happens this year. But um, I don't know, maybe that's harsh. I don't know. It's uh, it's It's been a really interesting, intriguing season to follow, that is for sure. I don't think it is harsh at all. I mean, I, I uh, wrote the the intro that I was going to ask you and then sort of checked myself to think, well, why wouldn't his hooks be extremely tender? Because when you look at the table, we are, you know, we are the very next people in the queue behind the playoffs. It is a one-result you know, swing between us. We are playing other teams in the playoffs, so there is an element of it that we we affect our own fate. Um, and then you think, and, and it's eight games, so it's not like oh, I was only one or two. You know, it's a good. There's a good period of work there. You could build up momentum. Uh, yet, yet somehow, before looking at us in seventh, I, at the moment, the first thing I think of when I wake up in the morning isn't isn't the promotion push, which it is all consuming when you're pushing for promotion in the previous seasons that we've done it. And it is at the front of our minds and it's at the start of every conversation you have with pals. But Punt, I think you feel the same as, as Michael and myself in that I, I almost, I'm almost sort of telling myself to, to get excited for it. And then I, I watch, for example, Stoke um, on, on Saturday and and you think for for the vast majority of the game, that team doesn't look like it should be anywhere near the like top half, let alone top six. Stoke game was really interesting in, in the way we set up. I mean, we went 4-4-2 and we went agricultural and almost, I think the narrative has been constructed to say that that was out of necessity. But I still feel like we had players like Marcelino Nunez and you know Marquinhos on the bench where if we'd have wanted to bring a bit of extra creativity, if we would have wanted to play maybe in a Wagner-esque way, we could have done it really worried me that it was almost like an acceptance of right well we've just got to dig out a draw or or try and scab a 1-0 win here you know and not get beat Uh, that that to me just screams of a team that isn't going to make it especially with and as we were talking about before recording three of the next four games being really really difficult 
but for me it's it's the variation in performance so and it almost coincides with when we record podcasts so we'll do one really positive podcast and then we'll do one really not necessarily massively negative but one kind of mere podcast head, scr- where, head scratcher yeah it's like well you know and we're back here aren't we you know we're after the last one was was post Millwall and it all felt like you know we were booking tickets for Wembley whereas now or booking hotels for Wembley whereas now it's just like we feel so far off it even though it's three points Norwich just feel miles away from from being top six challenges and it is that you you turn up and you never know what you're going to get out of this team and I think any time that you're looking to build momentum or consistency you you know I felt like when we've turned up at Carrow Road for Daniel Farker's promotion seasons Paul Lambert's promotion seasons Alex Neal's promotion seasons Nigel Worthington's promotion seasons I know what I'm going to get and I'm probably not going to be surprised most of the time when we're going to put in a performance that, all right, might not necessarily um, produce three points, but it will be a team that we can be proud of. And we're just nowhere near that at the moment, are we? We're a team that struggles with so many things, one of them being, you know, kind of a proper identity. But second of all, just coming up with answers to questions that have been there all season. And it's, I don't know, it baffles me every time I watch us now as to, you know, how we can just throw in a four out of 10 and then the next week be an eight out of 10. But you mentioned, you know, turning up to Carrow Road, coming back from half time, you know, coming back from the bar at half time, you <laughs> yeah. don't know if you're going to see the same thing as you saw. So, so Michael, I want your uh, enormous brain on this. What, what is that? What's the kind of number one thing with all of this inconsistency that you, you could either put your finger on as the cause of it or the the number one thing Wagner needs to change over the summer with recruitment? Like, because it, to, uh, putting aside the unreal levels of defensive errors that lead to goals and defensive errors that leave, leave to chances in the last two games, we've had them again, you know, otherwise extremely capable centre-backs who have played 88 minutes of really good level championship centre-back play, but then have got a Sunday league level mistake in them almost every single game. Putting that aside, because you feel like surely we'll come back to the mean next season and the, you know, the individual areas you'd hope would level themselves up. The inconsistency, that is the thing that if this team is going to do anything in any league, that has got to be a team, something that this team irons out, surely. Yeah, I think the first point I want to make is that I feel like there have been elements in probably this year where I have wanted to lean into a bit of good feeling because it has felt like there has been no hope (laughs) at times across and no enjoyment for, for a number of years. So I've felt, so for example, after the Millwall win, you want to be like, you know what, that is a great performance, great result, stands up. Um, and you sort of focus on that more than some of the mitigation that comes around it. But that that mitigation is is still there. And it obviously then comes to the fore when the performance has regressed to what was has been more of a of a sort of a, an average performance level from the team this year. So it, it, in some ways, it's they probably have been they have probably have been relatively consistent. I think the problem is that um, that consistency level is below expectation of what they are capable of. You know, the reality is they they are they're they're pretty pretty good on the ball. They seem to lack the a lot of the mentalities, uh, um, the mentality thing uh, requirements to succeed at the moment. Um, they haven't really had that all season. 
and uh, there have then been issues with um, the the coaching as well. So, but but ultimately they are kind of where they are now and where they've sort of looked like looked like being. Um, I find that ultimately the team hasn't achieved what everyone thought it would do to this point. I think because there's a cultural element around the club that is finding it very difficult to reconcile what they are trying to do. <laughs> what, the, yeah. what are they trying to achieve? I think they've, they've, they've done it twice and they've been very good at achieving it because they've won the division and then it's been really difficult. So, and I think this probably goes for a lot of supporters as well. When you're then not clearly as good this time around and the prize is still the same, it's very hard to, you know, and you're not talking about a huge amount of hunger and desire, but it's just enough compared to other teams that haven't experienced it yet and just feel a bit more excited about it. Yeah. So um, that was probably the thing about the Stoke uh, the Stoke performance is very similar to what we saw under under Dean Smith. It ultimately they they um, they they weren't great at how they were trying to score. I couldn't really figure out how they were trying to win the game. I'm sure there was an element where they were. Um, they were trying to be compact. They they had no ability to control the game. And ultimately, if Stoke had been a bit more acute with their finishing, they would have they would have lost. Norwich would have lost. Um, I thought Angus made some decent saves, but it was also a degree of poor finishing as well. So um, that they they are they were on that basis very similar to the team that that had played all season. So that that is kind of how I view Norwich this year, which is a shame, and I can't really reconcile it in my head because. At the start of the season, I was looking at the rest of the championship and seeing a golf in quality, and these players should have been capable of much more. Um, uh, and now I look at them over the body of the season and think that it's not necessarily that they'll rediscover the levels that we thought they were all capable of, but these are the levels that they're capable of. And some players aren't as good as they were. They're on the decline. Others are not fulfilling potential to a consistent level. And and here we are. Um which is quite difficult because I think everyone's now looking at it and thinking, right, we need to rip this up and let David Wagner have a full summer and let's go again. And um, that's that's a tricky scenario then to deal with if you are expecting a team that is going to finish in the top six you know, each season because there's no God-given right that that is what Norwich will look like. Yeah, it's a very hard narrative to sell Norwich fans that we wouldn't be a top 26 club because as much as that, that phraseology is kicked around and laughed at, um, it is very much, you know, in the last uh, decade, that's pretty much where we play. Right. So we, we are a top 26 club. Like we, we're, we're about as top 26 as you can get, um, or sort of 18 to 18 to 27, you could argue at the moment. Um, and so, it would be very hard for anyone to stomach or even look ahead to a season where that might not be not necessarily a God-given right, but something that something would have to go drastically wrong, like a couple of really serious injuries to key players would stop that from happening. And and I and I am count myself in in that camp. So punt to you on the inconsistencies as a as a fan, as someone who is willing the ball over the line. The frustration levels, I think, for me personally, is what makes this inconsistency so annoying because I'd. It's we've changed the coach and we have, I think, seen tangible difference. I think the highs are higher than they ever were under under the Bollard. The the lows are not as low in that we aren't we don't get stuck in those same ruts that we did under Smith, where we would you would literally see a triangle at the back happen for 14, 15 passes with no clue how to progress the ball up the pitch. Like that hasn't happened. Even in our stodgier Wagner performances, that hasn't happened. So that frustration for me as a fan of we've made an improvement yet we're still this fallible. Do you follow with that? 
I get what you mean. I think I've looked at it and I think for me it's around one particular area on the pitch. If you look at all of our recent performances where we've looked good, Kenny McLean and Gabri Sarah have played really, really well and have driven us towards a performance where we're going to go and pick up three points. Uh, in, in our performances where we haven't looked so good, certainly Gabby Sarah hasn't had that same kind of influential role. Kenny has has started to not necessarily regress back to what he was, but he hasn't been afforded, I, I guess, the same space and time in the quarterback role as as perhaps he did before because people have had a look at the way in which Norwich play and realised that if they deny Norwich space and they deny McLean passing opportunities then maybe they'll be they'll be able to pick our pockets higher up the pitch and I, I look back lovingly on promotion seasons and I, you know the example that I went for was Daniel Farker's 18-19 team and in those holding midfield positions you had Alex Tetty, you had Mary of Rancic, you had Tom Tribal, you had Moritz Leitner, and you had Kenny McLean. Two play or so five players for two positions. And I think Norwich's issue here is we can't change it up in the centre of midfield. You can bring on Marcelino Nunez, but I think it's been proven already that he's probably more of a potent attacking player than he is someone who's going to be able to play in the middle of the park. With the exception of what Liam Gibbs, like who is looks good and looks energetic and is decent on the ball. He's not an answer to, to those questions. So I don't think he's kicked on as much as we thought maybe he would. No, but he's got he's got enthusiasm and he's got dynamism and he's got energy and his range of passing is is decent enough for where we want to be. But I guess what I'm trying to say is like of those five players that I've just listed, you could always pick two that were going to be a decent pair and, and that were more than likely going to be effective. You've got Kenny and, and Sarah at the moment. And if one of them doesn't perform, you haven't really got anyone that you can place back in that team and think we're going to change the game meaningfully. And it feels like midfield really is our issue. And I, look, the signing of Isaac Hayden didn't work out. We signed Nunez. He started like a steam train, but it feels like he was signed to play in a 4-3-3 rather than a 4-1-4-1 or 4-2-3-1. Just... It, it does feel like that reset that you've referenced, Michael, needs to happen sooner rather than later. But the finances around that and the cultural issues around that and the churn, I, I worry about that a lot for next season. And, and that's that's the difficulty for me is that there, there feels like, as much as I can simplify it to the, the midfield, there are deeper issues I just think that we're, we're perhaps papering over the cracks of those right now but yeah look you know in, in terms of bringing it back to point it, the midfield is is where we can't change it up and we can't change games if we can't change those personnel right now I mean in the last um home game Kenny hit maybe four or five of the nicest diagonal long long ball passes I've seen at Carrow Road for many a year I mean I mean they were crook-esque they were Vranchich-esque they were Incredible. Such a Kenny Stan, fuck's sake, man. No, 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 no. Michael was <laughs> nodding vigorously when I when, when I said that he did. But he also, in the in that same performance, had his both hands above his head apologizing to all four stands for incredibly <laughs> amateurish sort of shins and, and, and he's got his, that in his, his locker, his, hasn't he? That's the thing. He has, he's always and, and had I, that in his locker. I know, and I think the issue that you is sort of the, the thing about those two is when one of them has a bad game, 
unfortunately, because of the very nature of the position, it automatically means the other one is it's impossible for Sarah to have a to shine if Kenny's having a stinker and vice versa. Because Kenny's stability and Kenny's moving the ball around is only possible if Sarah is occupying you know whoever else their six or whatever is trying to to push up and, and close us down. Likewise, if if McLean is 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 inaccurate with those passes, the ball isn't getting cut back then to Sarah on the edge of the box to then weave around and make things happen. So, yeah, that, that it's one of those things where I I I really like both players, um, and maybe it's as simple as the fact that there is no one really. You know, Gibbs hasn't had maybe the game time or whatever hasn't kicked on enough to be able to be a real threat to them, because we saw that with 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 Krill, didn't we? He, when he had real competition for. You know, he kicked on his performances and saw off Fearman as a as a kind of competitor. And but I did want to touch on Angus because you know he's getting a, he's getting his international call up. He's changed his allegiance to to that of his dad. And just a word, I think Michael on a seized opportunity because we were a bit sort of surprised when he was taken out of the team when 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 Krull kept, sort of kept his place after the cup game that, that Wagner oversaw for his first game. And I, I don't, I don't think anyone can look past Angus Gunn being um, number one now for for the foreseeable. He he seems to have really matured into a fine keeper. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it was a big call to to drop Angus, and I, I didn't. You know, David Wagner kind of admitted it was down to a sort of a hunch. Really, it was a feeling in his stomach that he was going to sort of stand by to bring Tim Krull back in. Um, but it did seem really harsh on Angus at the time because I thought the performances were were okay up until that point. Obviously, it then plays out that there are there are errors made, and uh, I think probably the fact that Angus got back in was maybe an acknowledgement that 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 hadn't worked out. Um, and from that point on, I think Angus has looked like someone who's who knows that there's there's a bit of belief in him and you're right it's seizing those opportunities i think his distribution has been good i think there have still been um some issues i mean i still don't think there's a massive gulf between him or tim i think they're both quite evenly matched goalkeepers and that possibly has been part of the issue this year i I, i've yet to know of a successful team that chops and changes its goalkeeper you know (laughs) i I can only ever think of successful teams who they absolutely know who their goalkeeper is and then the defense gets built off that as soon as you're just sort of choosing another goalkeeper and and it becomes a battle you almost don't want that you just need someone who's really pushing the existing number one or they're uh, they've got enough about them to do it on their own almost um so I, i think that sort of had to be resolved really angus just needs to be the goalkeeper now from the rest of the season um and 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 just be like that and i don't know what that means for the future going beyond the summer obviously i but there there have still been issues i mean i thought i thought angus was partially responsible for the goal against sunderland I thought he, mm. he did just didn't get set and he left too much of the goal open mm. as i said i thought he did really well and he was obviously a difference maker in picking up a point at stoke but I would have been very disappointed probably if he'd sort of conceded any of those given the finishes that were produced. Um, so he made himself big and he read those situations. So that was probably where the credit is for him reading those opportunities. But as I said before, I'm not sure the finishing was great. So um, it's kind of something that just needs to be settled. And I, I kind of always half wondered if Angus coming in was with a mind that if Norwich did get relegated, Tim would probably move on. Mm. And then it sort of unraveled. He didn't go to the World Cup. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, we've got two really, you know, evenly matched, very good goalkeepers. 
well, how are we going to deal with that? <laughs> don't know really, but they're contracted. So let's carry on and see how it goes. So it, it's um, the plan. <clears throat> yeah, who knows what the plan was? Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm delighted for Angus because I mean, ultimately, when most people have spoken about the goalkeeping situation, they've distilled it to the fact that well, Angus is younger, isn't he? So he'll be around longer. I mean, that's not a reason to pick your goalkeeper, but I, I think probably in terms of building the team going forward, that's that is probably a, a necessity if if it does switch to a dynamic where it's about planning beyond what happens at the end of this season. Well, I mean, let's look at the end of this season then because there's there's eight games left for us, nine games for, for a couple of, of teams. Although, to be fair, the ones that really affect Norwich <clears throat> mostly <clears throat> have got eight games left as well. Um, I don't think we're going to be troubling Burnley so um, or Sheffield United. So if we look at that, I want a, a straightforward one word or one number answer from you, starting with you, Punt. How many points are we going to get between now and the end of the season out of the maximum 24 available? 14. Would you like me to expand on that logic? Not not yet. Not yet. Michael. Go ahead. Uh, 11. Uh, By the way, even if Norwich got all their 14 points, they'd still be two points short of Burnley, by the way. (laughs) Yes. Oh, this is the thing. Yeah, I I, I think it's unlikely that Burnley will lose all the remainder of their games. Um, And have three uh, points deducted. It's interesting. (laughs) I also... I thought I was being very cup half full, but also ended up with 11 points, Michael. Blimey. Well, I there was we as positive as I could be, and that included us beating Blackburn. Yeah, so I, you, yeah, I, I only got, got us drawing with Blackburn. So to, to take us through it, Punt, what, where, where did your 14 points come from? Because that's, that's definitely the sunny side up approach. It definitely is. Um, and it still leaves us falling short of the playoffs, having looked at the other teams' games as well. So it's not that sunny side up, really, to be honest with you. It leaves us finishing, I think, on 71.72 points, something like that. But yeah, it's it's not enough, I don't think, based off the remaining games that Millwall, Blackburn and Luton have. But um, I had us drawing against Sheffield United, had us beating Blackburn, beating Rotherham, losing to Borough, beating QPR, who are woeful right now um drawing with Swansea which I think will probably be Russell Martin putting the final nail in our coffin um losing to West Brom and beating Blackpool well if that that West Brom game the penultimate game um if if we produce Millwall levels for the Sheffield United and Borough or Blackburn if in two of those three games we get decent results that West Brom game could be really, really interesting. So they've got a game in hand. The three point, the two points behind us. They've got a game in hand. They're on the march to try and kind of come up. That could be really interesting, given that so often in the championship, and it seems to be the case. Looking at the final fixtures this this season as well, were it to go to the final day, you do have the likes of Millwall playing Blackburn, who may well already have kind of secured it we're playing Blackpool probably already going to go, go down they're four points adrift and they've played a game more than the two teams above the bottom three so you, you te- there's there's quite a few of the champ of the playoff teams are playing teams with with nothing to play for in theory well, on that well, I, th- I think the next two games I think psychologically for Norwich it it's absolutely massive because we've got Sheffield United and Blackburn if as I predicted uh, you know and Please don't hold me to this, but we will get four points from those two games. We'll hold you to that. Millwall, well, yeah, all right, <laughs> if you like. Um, Millwall have West Brom and Luton, so yeah, it so, is so probable next... that they will drop. And then, you know, if we then see ourselves not necessarily in the top six, but a point off, two points off, or level pegging with, with Millwall, it feels very different, doesn't it, going into those final six? Whereas, you know, if we fail to pick up points and Millwall maybe get results, 
it's, I think it's over. Season's but, done. But, well, well, I think this is this is we talk about um, what good podcast, bad podcast. Um, a lot of the fe- this sort of meh feeling at the moment. Well, is, we've got Michael on. He's a good podcast, and then, well, then yeah, okay, us. yeah. But I mean, so Norwich done well podcast, Norwich done badly podcast. This is how our cadence has been this this calendar year. Um, the, the, one of the reasons it feels like that right now is because we have kind of risen to within one result of the playoffs on the back of no win in three. So it's we are we are sort of in full on in reverse gear towards the play. It, it does, and I've said this all season. How bad is the championship that we have seen our team deliver such a poor body of work? To to you to your phrase, uh, Michael, over the season, we we. It's been more bad than good that I've watched Norwich play. Yet somehow we could easily be battling it out for the Premier League. Well, that that's almost that. That's probably the answer to the baffling point I had. I've still got in my head from earlier, which is that I was looking at these Championship teams, going, "Oh my gosh, the quality is is horrific." But yeah. you know, the top teams are pushing, and ultimately Norwich are now in that level. So it yeah. all looks much for muchness. I can tell you if. I, I it, it's going to be so hard for any team getting promoted. I'm not so fussed about Burnley playing at Manchester City because, you know, any team in the Premier League can get done by six or seven. But in terms of picking up points regularly against bottom half side so that you stay up in the Premier League, I I don't I don't see that from any yeah. team, Burnley possibly. But and, and I think you, you are at the point now where that gap is so big that you do have to bring in six really good players to even give yourself a chance with your starting eleven. Well, on that point, Michael, I was watching uh, Match of the Day at the weekend because they had there was a lot of the kind of bottom teams were in action. The squad, the squads of the likes of a Southampton and a Leeds, and you know, in, in, in West Ham. You know the teams that are down there. That the results against those are so important because we know how relegation battles play out. We know how important those results are, and it is, you know, one of the truest of football cliches that it doesn't matter what happens at Old Trafford. You you will get prob- everyone like us with against Man City and, you know, the the, the nice Newcastle, um, Pookie hat trick. You'll get the odd nice sort of cherry on top as you go through the season. It really matters what happens in terms of mentally those those bottom six teams, and you compare. Probably aside from Burnley again, any of the top ten in the championship, our squads to the squads of those bottom three or four, someone's gonna have to spend forest levels of money to to even compete. Unless you do it, unless you have one of those romantic, odd sort of Sheffield United, Brentford can't really work out why it's working because these players aren't. You know, do you know what I mean? Like you have to have one of those momentumy seasons, and then just hope the second set of four or five you buy are also just as good. I genuinely think Norwich would need eight first team players if we were to get promoted. I think with Brentford, they um, were looking at it now. They had a, a pretty young group that just had a higher ceiling. I think Norwich got promoted with more experienced players that they picked up cheap, and then there are obviously some younger players there. But ultimately, the ceilings on Brentford's players. Have, have have been higher than the ones Norwich have had. And then they probably played something that's a bit more pragmatic in terms of a of a system and made it more effective. Um but it's yes, yeah, it's and, and also they they recruited a handful of players for more money that have been more capable of delivering. And beat Norwich. us on a couple of those signings like the defender chap. I was having that conversation with someone the other day, but yeah, with with Ayer, you know, it's like another three, four million pounds and Norwich would have signed him, but they didn't want to. So Brentford signed him. Um, and who was the other one I was thinking of? I can't remember now. There was another player. It was a similar situation. It was like, you know, just make that signing or you end up with three players that, that, that aren't quite 
as good. And I, I, you know, I think a lot of where we are now, it does revolve around the continuing impact of recent um, recruitment uh, decisions by the people making the decisions, not necessarily by the researching and the recruitment team and what they're trying to dig out, but the people making the final calls, speaking to the agents and making those final details. They're, they're the ones who are ultimately responsible for the squad that's out there. And it's, it's a squad that looks a bit unbalanced and, um, and in need of and of in need of work at a point where you also might not be able to keep hold of the players who have actually succeeded that you've recruited in the past. So if we do if 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 we're closer to the Michael and Tom side of things, eleven points you would you know would almost certainly not get it done. You feel like fourteen has got an outside chance, but probably it needs to be sixteen, seventeen of 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 of, of twenty four. Um but you know, you you never know. I mean, we, all of the teams in the playoffs have had at least three or four games without a win at some point this season, and and most of them more than once. I mean, like you know, Watford now something like tenth. You know, anyone is capable of going on a bad run, or including Sheffield United downwards, basically. Um, so we'll see. But if that does happen, and and it's another season in the championship, um, what is your what is your feeling, Michael? On where we need to set our expectations around the, could you put a percentage of it in in terms of how much of a refresh? Because it feels to me like we we really need to, other than maybe Angus and and Sarge at either end of the pitch, is it a case of we have to sell Aaron's and Sarah to try and fund a rebuild with young twenty twenty one year olds from from League One and further afield? I think. Um... It's so if we take Burnley for example, they I think they got rid of twelve players or sixteen players and got twelve in. They had loads of players out of contract and they had three or four um, prize assets that other teams wanted to buy. So all of the and they were relegated obviously as well. They had a new manager so um, who had just come in that summer and was able to recruit players from um, Belgium quite easily who knew what he was doing. So the whole scenario around that made I think for quite a a useful set of circumstances to completely rebuild that squad here. Um, you've got a few players who are still out of contract, but some of them you wouldn't like, I would still give an L presumably his injury is not that bad. I would still give him a new contract because there's a lot of plus sides to keeping him around. Um, but you, you, so you, you, move, you, you would say, all right, well you, you can lose some players and that will open up some places in the squad. I look at it and wonder if you want to sell players, who are you going to sell and how much for and who's going to want them. So Max Ahrens is a really interesting case. The guy has got 12 months left on his contract. So do you give him a new contract? And would that mean it was less likely to sell him? Probably. Um, on the contract he's on at the moment with 12 months left, how much is someone going to bid to buy him? I don't like up to 10 million. Is anyone going to offer 10 million for a player who's still got 12, only got 12 months left on his contract? Might be you know free in a year's time i don't know maybe but they'd certainly use it as a bargaining chip to narrow it down so and then you've got sarah who is doing well if he scores 10 plus goals and he's already been linked with other top flight teams in europe i can see there being interest for them for him in that side of things i can also see him i think he's got a long contract but i don't think he's necessarily at norwich to build a four-year project around getting back to the premier league i think he's probably done enough to get some interest from anywhere in europe so um and, he, and he, he'd be an attractive signing so it's then a question of how much money would norwich want to build for a for a uh you know a, a budget 
to reshape the squad. And I, I just see a situation where I think it's just going to be very hard for a total overhaul. I, I, I think you, you know, you have to look at it and say, well, Josh, Josh Sargent and Adam Eder, maybe they're going to be the top two next season, or you've got young players coming through who might get a go if they're fit, like John Rowe, but still so unproven. Mm. Um, you've got Liam Gibbs who could then play in the middle. Um, do you do that instead of bringing someone else in? Uh, the whole pitch of what the club is. I think is actually at stake, really. Is it going to be now that we we do give some of these younger players a go because we think it's time for them to give a go? I mean, if it is, then I, I'm not convinced there's enough there to then finish in the top six necessarily. Um, and it's also what the, the level of recruitment that they would then be looking to do. They haven't really done. You know, they, they could bring in more players from, from South America that they've scouted, but the team won't be as an attractive a proposition necessarily to get back up into the Premier League. That might be a slightly tougher sell because I would imagine Nunez and Sarah both arrived with, you know, like we, we, we bounce we go straight up. back. <laughs> That's what we do. So, um, and they haven't really done much domestic recruitment. Not really. Uh, um, certainly that's worked. And Brexit is still, it still means that that whole avenue of, of recruitment from Europe is, is trickier. So, um, and I know that this, this makes me sound like I'm really miserable and not hopeful, but I do, I do think it's just a whole, a wholesale um, change in terms of what I don't know what the club is trying will be trying to do next season. There's obviously Mark Atanasio is involved. I don't foresee a situation where he's like, right, here's a load of money. We'll go and sort it out for you. I just don't see that necessarily as happening, but doesn't mean it won't. Um, and that is a big unknown. And you've got a lot of fans who have, you know, been following the team for seven years and have only known that kind of yo-yoing. Um, Whereas I do remember what it was like to follow them for ten years in the middle of the championship and nowhere else. So, um, but but on that on that point, Michael, I was, having, I was having a conversation around that kind of expectation setting at the weekend after the Stoke game, and I think the so a, a really uh, tricky element that the club have got to handle narrative wise, um, and I'm not going to talk anymore i'm going to i was going to talk about how well they've handled narratives recently but well let's just park that you can insert your own punchline there um it's going to be hard for them to 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 try and spin that line that oh by the way you can't blame delia anymore so all of you misogynistic lot who used to hate delia and would say it was all her fault for for not going to the magic money tree at the bottom of her garden that bbc tv built and uh you know pluck a million pounds off and sell another cookbook and you know, buy loads of players. It's all Delia's fault. You, you, you now can't make that um, criticism because there's now this guy who's a billionaire who runs a massive hedge fund who is now actually genuinely got the money. So now it's a choice to not pump the money in. Whereas the opinion, my opinion, has always been: I think if Delia and Michael were worth seven hundred and forty billion, they probably would have just ploughed loads of it in, in, like maybe slightly irresponsibly, into the football club because I think they love it that much. Um, whereas now I think it's going to be really tricky for the club if forward slash when Norwich don't get in the playoffs, the tension is going to turn to that summer window. And if they go, well, actually, we you know we we really don't have the money to do it. Everyone will go, well, why did you sell your shares to this guy then? It wasn't like what's the point. 
I think that I that that point has been in the back of my mind ever since I first found out about the Atanasio's involvement. So they're not they're not going to put money into something they don't control. That's that's exactly what the latest share allotment is about. It's about the club needing some money and them going, "All right, okay, well, I'll have we'll have some more shares then, please." It's like, mm. "Oh, okay." I, I don't envisage a situation where Delia and Michael just want to leave the club yet, but again, that maybe that is being discussed, but uh, I, I don't, it never struck me as being about that for them initially, maybe down the line at some point, but not come the summer. But as you said, there's there's going to be, because the assumption that basically the summer, if it doesn't work out this season, which it really hasn't already, to be honest, um, is people go, well, this model doesn't work, so it needs to change. And I don't know if Delia and Michael are ready f- for that to signal the end of their involvement or, or and to sell up. And there's a logistical involvement in in that all happening as well. So um how i it's why it feels hard but it's i don't know what the plan is at the moment what what is the club trying to do because at the moment the plan was to finish in top 26 and they kind of got slammed for that being unambitious and they're going to be you know quite short of that and as i said i don't know if there's um that pressure from supporters of like well what what are we what are we rooting for here what is what is this next where's the club going um I, what, I, I don't know what the answer to that is yet. And people have not really been wanting to really open up on that and, and sell it. So, well, uh, I, f- I feel like a part, part of the reason for that is currently you've got a, you've got a manager and a, and a set of players who you want to give the outside message that we believe have got enough in them to, to go up this time. And so why would you put out anything about, but if it doesn't happen, then this is what we're going to do in the summer. Like, you know, it, it makes perfect sense that that is their kind of lips are sealed on that side of things. But I mean, you're literally talking from, you know, after the game against Blackpool, if, if we've fallen short points total wise, or, you know, West Brom game might happen sooner. Um, the attention I mean, or, or we lose in a semi-final or we lose at Wembley you know if if this season doesn't end in promotion and it really doesn't matter how between now and then from the basically the first set of headlines after the match review of the final game of the season attention will turn to these are the players that are out of contract what's Atanasio going to do how much money is there going to be and the message boards the podcasts and the conversation in the taverns is going to be well surely this is where we get some money pumped into the club and they I hope for their sake that they are prepared and have started thinking about their lines on that because otherwise there's going to be real anger that we that we if we drift through a summer well I think there will be that pressure but I I also think we're already seeing some of those lines um, mentioned because you've got talk of how you know much development has gone into the uh, training ground. Training ground has been really developed. That's that's one of the benefits of what has happened over the past year. We couldn't compete anyway because look, states own some of the clubs. What's the point? We can't do that. So you know, it's now the end of a cycle. So that just happens with teams. So we need to rebuild. We've got a great academy. We've got lots of young players that people know who they are. So we'll rebuild and we'll go again. And that's your that's your summer narrative. Uh, whether it's enough, <laughs> like um, whether it works, that's there's a lot of assumptions going on there that that season is better. But then if it's if it's not, then you know it's that as you said, it's how the supporters then are willing to accept that. Is that part of it? Um, is that enough to sustain the same level of interest in season tickets? Um, is it that it is in more enjoyable in the championship anyway, as long as we win half of the games and, you know, if we lose the other half, then as long as we try, it's all right. Then that's okay. That's fine. If that's what, that's, that's what the deal is and that's what everyone's happy with and everyone's enjoying it, 
then that's fine. But it is a detachment to what was being built mm. and what was being sold. And is anyone going to talk openly and be questioned openly about that? Or is it now, well, you know, we, had, we gave it a go. It didn't work. So let's just keep going. <laughs> Yeah, but again, but to just, your point, the just whole Atanasio thing, all the time. But that whole Mark Atanasio thing, that there's no way that they are they have they've signed up for second flight football. It's no. just, so, it's, I think there must be an element of the plan that we don't that we haven't been communicated to us. I think there has been six. There must have been succession planning in place. So that again, that would be the other point that the club can say, look, they're here, they're involved, they've given us some money. Maybe at one point they'll say what that money is for, um, but. That that there's not there's never been a suggestion publicly, really on the record that they are doing anything to purchase the club anytime soon. So that pressure coming from externally, and obviously it's obviously it's a logical assumption that it will happen at some point. But um, there's always been a bit of me that I've just wondered if the idea of having someone here who has access to means is uh, more desirable than actually figuring out how quickly that happens, what it looks like, and that that situation might become a uh, a sort of a circumstance that is there, but no one's really grabbed hold of how to deal with it and how to process it quickly and timely before there's maybe big questions and big pressure and that question mark over what the club is and how it develops. I might be, un- I might be selling people short and they know exactly what it looks like, but I've never really had an... Uh, had it clearly spelt out to me that that is the plan. It's more like this guy's great. He's got some money. We'll have him on board. It'll be really useful. But oh, Delia Michael aren't going anywhere. It's just Michael wanted to sell his shares, so that's great. Um, and obviously, if we need some money from him, we can have that discussion. But you know, Delia and Michael are still like running the club. So uh, and now they're sort of running it a bit less because they've you know what had to sell some more shares because we need a bit more money. Um, but you know we'll carry on. I, I just I, so it's 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 and it's on the club completely to sell and to communicate and to spell out what that is and what it does look like going forwards, um, rather than there sort of being a vacuum that could lead to the summer of supporters going right. That's not worked. Can we uh, can we have some investment now, please? Yeah, I mean on on that um, the fans kind of reaction. Have any have you heard anything from your Sparrows punt about um, season ticket renewal numbers or anything like that? Because the first deadline's passed now, hasn't it? The club put out just before that deadline, didn't they? I think they'd sold 18,000 or, you know, kind of in the region of 18,000. I think they'd put out in seasons prior to that that they'd sold more than that. So I don't think it's as high or as healthy maybe as the club would want. Look, there are definitely several several hundred people on the the waiting list, so I don't think that's going to be an issue. Like they they will probably get in the region of twenty one twenty two thousand season tickets that that have been snaffled up. But I think talking about the issues that you'd raise, Michael, about a plan, I look at what the Atanasios had done at Milwaukee Brewers, and they very much seem to be more about, and I've said this on this podcast before, about infrastructure rather than, you know, playing talent. And it was about building something for the the community, you know, and actually, you know, Carroll Road is a community asset. Let's let's not dress that up. You know, that's what it is and, and that's what it's there for. And I wonder whether, you know, we are just going to continue to see the investment in infrastructure. And look, 
you know, it is the Weber's legacy, I think, that they want to leave here and there'd be like a 32, 33,000 capacity, you know, Carrow Road, and they've done that and that will stand the test of time. And I do wonder whether brokering this deal with the Atanasios has had that in mind because they've been the architects of that deal. That hasn't been, you know, Delia and Michael out there openly touting for for buyers of shares. It, it has been the club that has act well, directors and officials within the club that have actively gone out and made sure that that this kind of investment could come into the football club. And I think that will be a really difficult sell because the tension will be, well, why are you sticking, you know, another tier on the city stand or completely ripping up the city stand when actually we might not even have the supporters to to fill it, you know, if we're not in the Premier League. And I, th- I think they've got to tread really, really carefully over the next few years to make sure that people stay on board because there are plenty of people, you know, if if Dean Smith had, had have um, held on for, you know, kind of a, a few more weeks, I think season ticket renewals could have been horrendous this year. Okay. Absolutely horrendous this year. And it was almost just a feel-good factor of David Wagner coming back that, that has got people coming back to Carrow Road because there was massive pockets of space at, at oh, Carrow those Road. Seats, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, there must have... I think at one point we were probably looking at gates that were under 20,000 and that's just yeah. unheard of at Carrow Road for, what, 25 years maybe. Yeah, you got you got to go back into the uh, back into the late 90s for that sort of the... 96, 97, 98, kind of very, very dark era that we were kind of alluding to earlier, Michael. We, you know, we have been there and we, you know, if, if we are going back to, if we're going back to that, it has to then be a case of, to your point, well, we really like the football we play or we really love that these are all local academy talents or we really like that we've got a progressive young manager who's learning his craft or, you know, then there has to be some other hook that makes you feel kind of a siege mentality and feel like, yeah, we're doing it our way. And, you know, Norwich fans might sign up for that again like you know, we 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 aren't going to do it with big money. We are going to do it our way. But there needs to be a construct, whether it is around the academy. You know, we build a team around Johnny Rowe and Gibbs and 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 some other young and, and that chap who was on the bench, um, the game before last, the uh, young lad, Abu Kamara. Abu Kamara. Yeah, yeah. So you know, if 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 they get lucky and a couple of them hit their stride in preseason, then you know, and all of a sudden you think, oh, we've got a player here, and and they break into the team. And uh, and look, you know, a la Campwell, a la Aarons, and, and and all of a sudden we've got another couple of gems on our hands. Then it's it's easy to to kind of build some fan momentum around that, and their their job won't be made as hard because effectively what the, the the hardest thing that the club have had to deal with is the coach couldn't coach the players and the players didn't play to the levels of their ability, and that is when you start talking about narratives, messaging, communication. None of that matters if you're in the top two or in the playoffs and playing well because we're all too busy talking about Sarah's goal or Nunez's assist, you know, to, 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 to care about what's going to happen in the summer because we're still fully focused on, well, maybe we can go back up again, which is still, you know, a mathematical possibility. Um, and we will uh, see you again very soon to talk about it. Michael, thank you for joining us um, in your status as top eight, Michael in Norfolk talking about football. <laughs> And uh, Punt, I appreciate that you exist. We had lots of very, very good questions on the Twitter that we haven't got to because we're short on time. So I apologise to everyone that's asked a really good question and I'm sure we'll answer them at some point in the future. Uh, Enjoy what will be a very, very quiet international break uh, in terms of watching Norwich. And then let's see if these next big games coming up can be the making of our season. Mind how you go. (laughs) 